Broadcasting live from the Stonefish, this is the Monstrous Feminine, a podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my needle workers, Mila and Louisa. In this episode, we're continuing our romantic horror theme and talking about the 1999 thriller Audition, directed by Takashi Miike. Taya is off this episode, but she'll be back soon. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In Audition, a lonely widow named Shigeharu is encouraged by his teenage son to remarry. He laments the quality of women in Japan with his friend, Yasuisa. Shigeharu's friend is a movie producer, and he devises a plan to hold auditions for his future bride under the pretense of a false film project in order to find the best possible woman for Shigeharu to marry. Soon enough, Shigeharu falls in love with one of the candidates, a seemingly well-mannered and submissive woman named Asami and the two begin dating despite the fact that Yasuisa can't confirm any of her references from his resume. After spending a night together, things soon turn sinister, and Shigeharu discovers Asami's dark and incredibly violent past. So my hot take, I don't think it's a hot take at all, but I was watching the beginning of this film and like, you know, when they devised the plot to have auditions, I was like, that is so sexist. That is so problematic. I can't believe they're doing that. And then like when he's going through the resumes, I'm like, he's just assessing a woman on paper and making a judgment on whether he wants to date her, fuck her from that. That's so bad. And then I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> That's all that dating apps are. They're just on a phone. Obviously, they're holding a fake audition. That's terrible element of it. And we're not doing that. However, like assessing from a resume is basically what Hinge is. If anything, I have less to go off of from Hinge. So I'm even more superficial. Yeah, we don't even get an essay portion. We really should have an essay portion. <laughs> yeah, that would be really helpful. I had the same realization watching this. Maybe it's just like dating apps, because obviously, like you said, you have to have that element of a CV. The thing I kept thinking of throughout it was like, she's just performing as women. Her role is women to this man. And that's also what like online dating feels like to me, especially if it's like straight dating. It's like performing. These are the things that make me good women. Because that's something we've talked about before. Romantic love being a symptom of capitalism at least as a as a way to find a partner to create your little nuclear family. It was a scary realization to me, specifically the assessing a resume thing where I was like, this is terrible. And then I was like, oh my God, that's like how many of my relationships have originated. Like I would hire somebody to do a very thorough resume and match me with somebody's, try some somebody's out. And, uh, you know, you still got to date them. You still got to figure out if you like them. Like, it's not like the whole thing is based off the resume and the picture. But in the app situation, it's just not enough information. It's just not enough information. I wish I had a chance to um, see everyone in person, how tall they are. Honestly, I feel like the most invasive part of this setup in the audition is the question asking part. I guess that's what you do on a date, but it's not one-sided. 
Like, she didn't get to ask any questions about him. How much of dating is just auditioning someone to be your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner? I think 99%. I don't mean, like, that all human relationships are that transactional innately. I think that an individual society built on a sort of, like, certain number of checkpoints you reach to feel like a good citizen, which, i.e. is marry, procreate. I think it naturally becomes that because everyone has a goal. So you're not just like forming intimate relationships with people. You're like, yeah, but am I going to marry you? Are we going to have kids? Are you the one? You know how the apps will serve you people who they think are your type? Like, do you find that that's accurate? I'm so insulted by that. They're just like, you want you want somebody brown and regular, huh? And then they serve it to me. And I'm like, you're right. The Monstrous Feminine is on Twitter, so please tweet us. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is Gabby, who tweeted, Wake up, babe, at the Monfem pod dropped a claustrophobia episode. Wake up, babe, Gabby just tweeted us. That's how I felt about it. That's how I felt about it. I thought that was incredible. I was like, yes, exactly. Wake up. Thank y'all for being patient during our break, because this was, I think, the first episode we dropped after... We hope you have an excellent year and we hope you continue to await the new episodes and we hope you enjoy your shout out. Thank you for listening. So your Valentine is full of those chalky sweethearts, some Hershey kisses, and a loose handful of M&Ms. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion for our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. I was like eating a little snack and as my snack was ready was when the torture started. (laughs) Like when all that started in this film and I was like, oh, I timed this really wrong with like when I was ready to eat my meal, like my little lunch. Very slow burn. But you know what? My favorite horror is slow burn horror. I love a characterization. I love a setting the scene. I love a leap slowly. I think it makes it all the more horrific when it actually happens. So don't dislike that. I think it was great pacing for me personally. Do you guys like this film overall? Yeah, I do. I do. Body horror is something I appreciate when it's done well, oddly enough. I think that's like one of the more horror purist parts of me as I do really like interesting and unique body horror and often that is like torture (laughs) otherwise it's like a slasher type of thing there's only so many creative kills you can do in a slasher though there are some very creative kills in slashers and I do like those the other side of that spectrum is like very like minute body horror that like really gets to something unique in your brain that you didn't know that you were afraid of happening. Needles in the soft part of my bags is something I did not realize I was afraid. I mean, I didn't think I was not afraid of it, but I'd never consciously thought of it to be afraid of it. Should we start at the very beginning? I wanted to talk about the the wife hunt setup. When Shikeharu and Yasuisa is, they're talking, they're over drinks. Yasuisa to me comes across as more overtly misogynistic in the sense that he sees the girls giggling. We don't even see the girls, but he's like, ugh, low class and stuck up, stupid as well. Where are all the good girls? Japan is finished. Whereas Shigaharu is like more still misogynistic, but much more, I I think, in that like timid, I've internalized a lot of stuff way and accepted it, it as normal. 
the movie guy was more overtly like aggressive in his misogyny. It was different levels of toxic, but interesting because in the end, they both do the same fucked up behavior, which is deciding to set up auditions for women or having women come audition to be his wife under false pretenses of a film. Hashtag me too, because what the fuck? And there's something quite like meta about the fact that obviously the audition process in the film is to find a wife, but there would have been audition to find their lead character. How much awareness there was or wasn't, I don't know. It's been hailed, especially by Western critics, as feminist. But there's also this like uncomfortable meta doubling going on where it's like, it's obviously criticizing this whole audition process, it's like dehumanizing. It's something that was just happening in general, like in the film industry at the time with actresses, I'm sure, having to go through similar invasive questioning, body checks to get roles. A casting call is innately objectifying, isn't it? No matter which way you you are spinning it. You're auditioning for something that is an object, a character, you know? I read this review by Reuven Lenars on Asian Movie Plus, and it said, Shigeru defines his perfect partner to be the exact opposite to him. Young, emotionally scarred, as well as unsuccessful in advancing a career, but still confident. And I was like, that actually is what he describes. And then I think this person said that criteria is so specific that the only way you could find a woman like that is quite literally holding an audition. And I thought that was interesting. And it was like, when you think about, you know, they're just so sexist in what they say. Like, obviously, they want someone who's from a good upbringing, traditional and well-trained. Shigaharu equates the process of looking and evaluating the resumes as, like, buying his first car. When his son, and this part was particularly disturbing, when he says, when he meets Asami, and he says, like, she's only 24 years old to his son, his son's like, oh, much closer to my age. They have such an interesting relationship. I think it's very much like, because his son also says, I'm scared of women, when he thinks about, like, talking to the girl. He's going to be scared of women for the rest of his Boy life. Willy. Boy Willie. But I thought it was interesting. It very much gave me like how a father-son dynamic might evolve if the mother did pass away early on, you know? To be fair, I need to put a disclaimer that I don't think a household needs to have a man and a woman to raise a child successfully. I just mean like the trauma of losing his mother and like the father being suddenly single parent might have influenced like how they both perceive women in the sense that the father idolized his it seemed like he was trying to find a woman who was like his wife i mean they literally said you're looking for your wife again it's interesting what you said about like um when they were discussing that their ideal woman his ideal wife i didn't even think about that in the context of like him holding the audition that it's like a character brief it shows like the artifice of it it honestly like comes down to the fact that so many men this isn't accusatory men calm down but in a way that you are socialized like men rarely see women as people if you want to get freudian and obviously like man as baseline woman as other really only like conceptualize women in really narrow categories of either wife mistress i'm related to you and so him like going through this like really regimented process to find a wife just like the whole performative nature of them like holding auditions it's a really great commentary on, as we talked about in the beginning, the nature of dating in general, romantic relationships. I think there's an element of it that's very like culturally specific with Japan is like a place that a lot of their media deals with loneliness and like societal dissociation. And I think that's a really prevalent theme we see with these films. But yeah, this whole thing, just like how dehumanizing it is for these women. But it's also like, it's the nature of dating, isn't it? What you were saying about, you know, either you're a wife, 
mother or somebody you're otherwise related to. I did notice that the women in this movie who aren't related to him or that he's dating become this like weird other thing to him. Like he doesn't know where to put them and he doesn't know how to categorize them. And I think that like he likes those women, it would seem like he doesn't feel like bad feelings towards them, but I think it causes him some sort of frustration. Those like third category women. They're like in his subconscious, right? Like even like I think his son's boo thing is like a really good example of that where he's like, he need not be thinking about her at all, but he, she's like taking up space in his head and that like seems to irk him and like be like become part of his subconscious, even though he she's like for him. It's like also like a, his, you know, his son might be an extension of him subconsciously. So like that is also a conquest. Like while he's dating, his son is also dating and like both of them should be successful in that. This uh, hallucination scene, yeah, I completely agree. I think I kind of saw it as like, yeah, a projection of his own guilt over how he's like treated various women in his life. Yeah, that being, you know, his coworker. I thought his son's girlfriend was so interesting. Like, yeah, again, that laddie, congratulations, Asami, of course, because he, the whole reason he goes for Asami in the first place is based off of a projection that he created from reading her resume. Like, he took this whole story and made this whole interpretation from it. Like, concluded that she must have, like, this immense emotional depth and everything. And I thought it was so funny in the audition where she was just like, he says all this, he goes on this whole monologue, and then she's like, thank you so much. And it just shows that, like, he... He created this ideal woman in her from like very little to go on. And yeah, so basically I think it's like him assessing like how he's, you're right, how he's like viewed and categorized each woman in his life. I also thought there could be guilt as well because one thing that's always repeated by Asami is like, you promised to only love me, you promised to only love me. I thought this could potentially be, it depends what you think is real and what's not. Like if you're going off of like maybe the whole thing was imagined or some parts are imagined some bits of dialogue i think the focus on that might be the like the voice of his it's not the voice not literally the voice of his late wife it might be like the guilt over finding someone new because obviously when you get married you do tend to promise to only love them so um you do tend to do that in <laughs> but yeah so i thought that was interesting like this whole guilt thing and other people had some really um like interpretations of that, particularly Stephen Ledrew in an essay called Jokes and Their Relation to the Uncanny. Again, they say it's his guilt at the mistreatment of women and the desire his desire to dominate them. In Klinian terms, Shigeharu is, develops a paranoid fantasy of an attacking object. Because he harbors sadistic thoughts towards women, he develops a PS-induced fear that the object will retaliate. They're obviously going from a more Freudian analysis of the situation, but I thought that was quite interesting because another journalist, Dennis Lim from the LA Times, said that women are objectified in the first half, but in the second half, it's all about redressing that balance and Asami's an avenging angel. So I think it is interesting how he has objectified and the whole process, like as we said, of auditioning is objectifying women. And then potentially this is like a kind of subconscious fear of like what happens when a woman has her own agency and everything. Because he must have a fear of women if he's stressing the need for someone timid and submissive and well-trained and mild-mannered. Like, even if he's not saying he fears women, it's like, well, you clearly do fear, like, a woman having agency. So I think it makes sense, that particular Freudian interpretation. Do we know what his dead wife, like, what her personality was like? Or is she kind of, like, a mystery? The only thing you get is, I think, one either his movie friend or someone says, oh, so you're basically looking for your wife. 
So I I gathered from the adjectives that he's using, traditional, well-trained, that his wife was that sort of more traditional, I guess, subservient kind of woman. I know he does feel guilty because at one point when he's reading her essay, he like turns the picture of his wife around, like doesn't want her watching him. So I don't know how much guilt is also a part of that like fear factor. It's all subconscious muck. Chuck Bowen from Slant Magazine says, Mike also understands that men pay for their sexism as this is the source of their feelings of hollowness. When Asami paralyzes Ayoama and sticks him with acupuncture pins and saws his foot off with fine wire, actions with Mike stages with galvanizing calmness. She traumatizes him while providing him with a perverse catharsis. I thought that use of catharsis was really interesting. Ayoma's fear of women has finally been realized and justified as he's seen the heart of Asami's sickness, but this interpretation is complicated by several slips in time and perspective. When Ayoma is paralyzed by drug whiskey, he flashes back to the dates he's had with Asami, which gain new significance, and which Miki rhymes with Ayoma's encounters with other females, most perversely including his son's date. In these sequences, Miki renders a free associative vortex of male neuroses in which women become interchangeable harbingers of longing and pain. Like I said, the use of the word catharsis and um, catharsis in the sense that, yes, it forced him to confront the prejudices he has against women, as we've said, his guilt, whatever. But also it's interesting because I was thinking about how potentially he can only interpret or understand Asami's abuse and like what she was saying when he's experiencing a very dramatic. Well, I don't know if it's worse. It's the same, basically same level, but equally horrific torture himself. And we often, because we kind of say like men can't understand what women go through on a daily to day basis. I thought this was like him only able to like think back on their conversations and realizing what she was actually talking about and not just his lens of the situation was like, oh, like poor tortured, like timid woman, you know? And I thought that was very interesting that like he had to go through like this penetrative bodily violation in order to understand that himself. Not that men have to do that in order to understand, but you know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to have that in order to empathize but yeah it was quite interesting if you can only interact on the basis of these very strict categorizations you hold for women and the roles that they should uphold then I think that a woman telling you about like abuse she suffered would just in your brain go into the little like it would just be like an overarching narrative in that that woman as concept and not as a person. It, it would be like, okay, so that trauma of theirs ultimately serves him because he's thinking, what a well-rounded female. What rich characterization. She has such emotional depth that makes her a better conversationalist. You know, it's, it, yeah, you're right. Because the male perspective and male experience is like the norm and like the center from which everything else orbits, then it's really difficult if that, that's your lived experience to even imagine something different. Yeah, I, I think it's really important that that is explored in these sort of films that deal with like the relationship between men and women because it is really alienating for men. If you are if you're taught that and taught that like how to treat women and to think of women, then of course that's going to be alienating and lonely because you can't form real connections. And that's obviously not just men doing that. That's something that unfortunately I think lots of women are cursed with because I don't want to just blame rom-coms, but there's certainly a like fantasy element of romance that we're taught. Yeah, I mean, the rom-coms give you an ideal, but then the education system and our internalized societal conditioning raises men 
who are so subpar that they could never achieve that ideal. Like I said, the height of his connection, understanding, and empathy is when he's being tortured by her. That's when he actually starts imagining what she went through. So before, he was hearing it. Like, he was listening to it. But like you said, he's just thinking about how that's made her an ideal person for him and this particular purpose. Whereas he actually only starts thinking about what she experienced and how horrific that must have been and starts reimagining the description she gave only in that moment and I thought that was so interesting because also in this like sequence they give you a little uno reverse where you think it's actually all been imagined when he wakes up in the hotel and they're still in bed and I thought me personally if I had woken up from a dream that visceral I would have not proposed but he in that moment decides yeah actually we should get married after waking up from that dream which you realize actually wasn't the dream and in fact the dream that you think he's currently woken from is still the dream is the real dream it's all confusing okay however I thought that was wild to me and I was trying to think like why would he do that and it's almost like because potentially because he just had this experience where he felt more connected it was so weird I'm not trying to say that abuse makes you more connected to a person in that way I just mean like I couldn't rationalize why he would have not been so spooked like why he would have been like oh yeah let's but yeah I am gonna continue on and thank god that was just a that was just a little blip in the timeline and I was like maybe it's because there was like that weird horrible twisted moment but potentially that's the only form of intimacy he's properly experienced with a woman in a while again not that abuse is intimacy he had a moment where he truly understood her and physical pain is something a bridge of sorts I know that we're like treading in hot water here. We're not saying that abuse is intimacy or that it is a healthy way to connect people. But obviously in this horror film, we're not playing by those rules. It lends to that just like overarching theme of loneliness and detachment from like any real sense of connection. And the fact that, like you said, the only way that he finally was able to connect with her was through the sort of shared pain of course it's traumatic and he would have like emotional pain but that's certainly not something that comes through strongly it's more like the visceral physical pain that connects them love and pain get warped when you've been abused certainly that is the case for her she's conflated those things and i feel like in that experience he conflated those really unhealthy things as well i think this is culturally relatable across different countries in fact there is a comment about how this was quite a popular film for the West and the director was apparently like, according to Wikipedia, the director was like, I'm not interested in why the West liked this film, but cool that they did. <laughs> On the like loneliness point, um, I think that there especially is for men an inclination to like play, I don't know, play the part or, or for anybody actually who's like overcome with loneliness to like thinking that like playing the part is going to satisfy the loneliness so we always say that like men if they don't have real friendships with women if they don't know how to interact with a woman as a person as opposed to like a potential mate or somebody who is your subordinate in another way I think for I don't know lonely women it's also like okay if I get on back to the app thing if I get on an app and I play the role of woman or play the role of potential girlfriend or play the role of girlfriend really well or play the role of wife really well that that's like going to solve the situation. I think for men, because and I don't know, I get the sense that like masculinity doesn't allow for very deep friendships as well. So the loneliness is amplified by that. Even you can even see in the friendship that these, the two men in this movie have where they're like, I don't know, it's such a like surface level weird conversation where everything they say is reinforcing societal values. Everything they say is just like reminding each other 
that there is a norm and they should be aspiring towards it. So he's in that bar and they're talking about like, you and me, we need women. Women are for this role. You need to get that. And that's, I don't know. There's something about that element within the loneliness that feels like inescapable for this character. Like this is a very lonely movie. He has lots of relationships to people in his life. He has a child, he has friends, he has coworkers. And like, he seems so lonely all the time. He even makes up an inner world for himself. That's why he's like, oh, I need somebody with a lot of depth. You know, I think it's because he's trying, he, he lacks depth. He's, he's like looking for something obviously unattainable. But beyond that, if she had continued to play, play the wife for the rest of her life, I don't think his loneliness would be solved. Like we know that. So I don't know. It's like, that's what makes the torture and the pain make sense why that drew out his empathy, because that is the depth that he was lacking in the rest of his life. The worst pain he's gone through is the grief of losing his wife. And so I guess compared to what she's gone through, though, like there's no way he could empathize with it. Her methodology of like extracting that empathy out of men is flawed. Like I doubt that would work in real life. He'd probably be sitting there with needles in his eye bags like, damn, I hate this bitch. Not I all of a sudden empathize with her. He'd probably feel like the victim for eternity. I don't know. I feel like I've phrased this incredibly poorly now in the sense that I don't want to ever suggest that um, you have to suffer abuse in order to empathize with somebody or that it creates like this intimacy or a bond. I don't think that at all. I think that's important to say it, it does. That's not something we're advocating and not something we're judging. Like that's simply something that happens with human brains. Yeah, yeah. You get do you get trauma bonded and it warps. Well, exactly like we said, it warps your perception of love and pain when you when you experience something like that. I think I was viewing this through the lens of again another comment that Chuck Bowen made in Slant Magazine. He says Mike mounts a character study that's rich in psychological ironies, portraying men and women as irreconcilably separated by social boundaries and personal traumas that must eventually be exercised by violence and later on he says asami's torture of ayoma uh, suggests an explosion of the pent-up gender hostilities that fuel pop culture i think that is how i'm looking at it as like men and women in this then this like chasm between them and like i said the only time he's actually able to really like see and envision what she's been through is when he's going when she's inflicting horrific torture on him himself not that that's the only route to enlightenment <laughs> it's ultimately a character study that at least i i felt bad for him I was like aware of all the ways that he is misogynistic due to the environment he's in but I was sort of I was sad for him feeling lonely feeling desperate he certainly didn't deserve the level of torture that he received like the way she sought him out here's the thing like I don't know if she was like scanning the classifieds looking for a man to punish I don't think she finds men I think it's just all men she can find something wrong with you if you're a man and she will punish you. She had not all men. She said, hold that thought. I was going to ask if you thought the ballet thing was potentially connected to like performance of femininity, performance of womanhood, because she has this whole speech about how she found a lot of comfort in dancing and, you know, it like gave her something to like do and to put her mind on and to like work towards. And I think, I don't know, ballet is a very particular type of dance that is you know I don't know we've talked about it in when we talked about Black Swan or when we talked about uh Suspiria like it is the highest performance of femininity in kind of like torture yourself to get to that point 
And I think maybe that could overlap with that she found a comfort in like playing this sweet, demure Asami character. But through a discipline that is torturous. It it was in view that leering pedophilic gaze anyway because her uncle it flashes back at one point of her uncle saying dance for me and of course obviously i think the origins of ballet were that it it was originally kind of a sexual art yeah sex workers um would be often ballet dancers or they overlapped often i hadn't actually thought much about the ballet but i think that makes complete sense i thought her particular psychosis is interesting one thing she says Words create lies. Pain can be trusted. Elaine Scarry, the body in pain. She articulates this point very well. But yeah, one thing she talks about is Elaine Scarry is like pain and the expression of pain is almost like a reversion to infancy because it makes you pre-language. Like because when you call out, you're not expressing anything. You're just you're just saying it. So this is like when she's torturing him and maybe he's having a profound revelation of how he's treated women it is a kind of a rebirth of sorts in the sense that it's like because if pain is pre-language it's pre-anything it's like it does put you in that really primal state and he's he's forced to go back to this primal state where he has no societal norms and no no expectations of women so maybe him then in this dream sequence he has about the proposal and him accepting it is actually not him like having intimacy but more him clinging on to the societal norm which he's just been robbed of in this revelation of torture maybe that's the point that we're trying to access here a lot of western viewers perceive this film to be feminist and i read something from the little white lies by asami lashing out against these increasingly tiresome expectations proving to be the most extravagant paradox to the obedient wife ayoama was hoping for the subtext appears to mock the anti-feminist push and pull still present in today's society within miki's twisted environment and the realms of hardcore horror our antagonist is an exaggerated feminist icon in a leather clad disguise i think i would like comfortably argue that it had feminist intentions and i think it does it in a much more successful way than silence of the lambs does it's a lot more consistent in this film with how they address gender roles and like societal expectations, loneliness, femininity, masculinity. I think it's a lot more clear and consistent. Like thesis sounds fucking pretentious. You know what I'm trying to say? We could also argue it's exploitative. How is it a feminist empowered character to just subject her to horrendous childhood abuse that we don't see a lot of, to be fair, compared to what we could have been shown? But still, like, the crux of her character is just somebody traumatized. Well, Dennis Lim for the LA Times did say, like, they're both predators and victims and they're both sympathetic and we're both, like, at different points in the film. And Asami and um, Shigeharu. So he basically doesn't think it's either feminist or misogynistic. He thinks it's, like, a very complex portrayal of, like, them interacting and them both being perpetrator and victim and switching out. But she also has a female victim. You know, the the owner of the stonefish was a woman who she kills. That was the wife of the record label uh, director who she hacked at her. It might have been like, he didn't love just me. I'll kill the wife, I think. Speaking of revenge, the mon femme element that we've basically already covered here. This she is, I think, I don't want to say best example, but probably most obvious example and in some ways best, actually, uh, of a femme castratrice. 
essentially, if we go back to the original Barbara Creed Monstrous Feminine lore, the whole point is that she thinks women are horrific in horror, not because they're castrated, if you're going from a Freudian sense, and men are like, oh my god, I don't want to be a woman because I lose my penis. But more in the sense that women have the ability to castrate, and that's why they're fearful, and that's why they're presented as other. And she is very much a rape revenge castrating siren figure conflate sex and violence because that's what's happened to her in the past and i think this is probably the most i I mean obviously this is after barbara creed's text but i think this is like such a good example of that figure in that book her needlework is also very penetrative yes that's the other thing she penetrates she's quite infantilized i think she's remained very much like as her younger self she even says to him, and she repeats it again when she's dying, she's like, that was very childlike of me. Yeah. Self-aware queen. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out.